What is up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Raptors Community Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a couple games. First of all, the Raptors take down the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Toronto is able to take down their big four, and I say big four, referencing that the refing in this game was definitely questionable, especially in that first half. Uh, with Natalie Sago getting most of the blame by Raptor fans, even though there's three refs in the in the game, but um, Raptor fans have beef with her after obviously what we know happened uh, when Larry got that controversial tech uh, against Sacramento. I think that game was so Toronto was able to take down Brooklyn 123 117, and we saw a great performance from Pascal Siakam dropping 33 points. He had 11 boards, shot over 50% from the field, and has really adjusted his game. And we saw that against Atlanta, too. He's sort of changing the way he plays. Doesn't take a lot of threes. He's shooting 23% on the season from three-point land and has honestly just taken that part out of his game. Takes, you know, one to two threes a night now. Uh, Over the season, he's averaging somewhere in the three to three-and-a-half range per game, but... Recently, we've seen his best performances come when he attacks the paint, dishes to other guys, averaging a solid number of assists over this stretch, and really just changing his game offensively to better suit his skill set, which is going into the paint, getting little flip shots up, going right to the basket, little layups, dunking, just sticking with not only changing his on-ball game, but also off ball being more of the guy in the dunker spot versus being in the corner taking threes he's more likely to be cutting baseline or sitting in that dunker spot than he is to be above the arc shooting three balls he's just changed the way that he approaches his off ball game and when he has the ball in his hands he's not settling for mid-range jumpers as much or specifically three-pointers You know, he still has that mid-range game that he likes to play with, but he more importantly tries to attack the paint, does his classic spin move, gets in the lane, and that's the best Siakam you can get. He's better off in the paint. He's athletic. He's long. He has really good touch as well. So it's better that he just avoids taking three-pointers as much as possible. He obviously has to continue to take them because it's a necessity in the modern NBA, but... What we saw him do against Brooklyn was really important. It's also an important thing to note that Kevin Durant played only 19 minutes, scored 8 points, and was out of this game in the second half because of this weird COVID protocol stuff that's going on. And it's pretty confusing. Like I don't know what is really happening with this stuff. I don't know why um, the rules are so almost stupid the way that they set it up where a guy in contact tracing if they have an inconclusive test he can play but as soon as it's positive they pull him out it just seems risky to me even though Durant was tested negative and this was the first game in his career where he came off the bench in his entire career which is pretty funny that you got to witness a little bit of history there with that another important player in this game against Brooklyn was Kyle Lowry who really dominated this is where we got the band-aid Lowry memes having 30 points on the night seven assists shot 12 of 18 from the field and hit six three-pointers and none bigger than down the stretch what he was doing hitting step back threes hitting just pull up threes you know getting to the lane he was doing everything especially in that fourth quarter and right near the end of that game 
Um, and we're getting those don't poke the bear memes, which are just classic Lowry plays, right? This is what he can do. He can close out games even when you're facing Kyrie and James Harden on the other side of the court. This is a different game if Durant is playing. Toronto probably loses, but they're able to pull this one out. They got another solid performance from Chris Boucher off the bench, dropping 17-9. and And we'll talk more about him against Atlanta, obviously scoring a career-high 29, but... He's been very, very impressive this year and has been a very pivotal part for Toronto after losing Ibaka and Gasol and refurbishing their center play. Obviously, he's listed as a power forward, but we know he plays primarily center for Toronto. He's their biggest player on the court whenever he's playing, and he plays 25-plus minutes a night, or at least should be, continuing to get more minutes because the Aaron Baines debacle continues to baffle me, and I... Obviously, I'm going to talk about this more when we get to the Atlanta game, but it's time for Baines to get benched. I think that... Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to save it, but I think Chris Boucher should be the primary center, and Toronto needs to look to pick up someone in the bio market or make a small trade, attach a second rounder, get a guy like JaVale McGee, someone who's going to contribute a little more than Baines has been, even though he's been, you know, on and off. You know, he'll have a game where he scores like 10 to 12 points, but his defense is really where he struggles. And I'm going to get more into that against Atlanta because obviously he got uh, torched in that game. But yeah, an impressive win for Toronto. And Norman Powell's been sneaky good, right? He, he scored 18 against Brooklyn and he had scored five straight games before that, scoring 20 plus points. And he just has been an offensive weapon for Toronto with OG and Anobi out and him getting slotted into that starting lineup. He's really proven to be one of Toronto's more consistent players, at least in the last 10 games or so. He obviously had a terrible start to the season and honestly was under the radar in terms of how bad he was. He was probably the worst player on Toronto this season. Early on, he was shooting under 40% from the field. He was shooting worse than Pascal Siakam early in this game, early in the season, I should say. And that just kind of dictates that he's grown this season a little bit after having a really good breakout season last year, became a six-man-of-the-year candidate, Fortunately, didn't play enough games on the bench to be considered for that award as he had ended up playing a few more games as a starter. But, you know, he's proving again why he's such a valuable asset for Toronto. And I know I always throw him in every trade package, but it's because he has value and is a tradable contract. And at age 27, I think he's reached his apex. At least what we see right now is probably the best you're going to get from Norman Powell. He's going to be a 15 to 20 point per game guy. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just what he is. He's just a scorer, a spark plug off the bench. And I saw one of the other Instagram pages saying Norman Powell for all-star question mark or hinting that it was someone other than Toronto's big three, whether it be Boucher or Norman Powell. But that's just ridiculous. I'm going to put it out there. Toronto's not going to end up having an all-star this year. And whether you like it or not, that's just the reality. They haven't won enough games. The fans aren't voting enough for our guys. Toronto Raptor fans have been tuning out of games because they assume this is just a, a wash season because of how poorly they started off the season. But you know what? Toronto right now is sitting in the seventh seed and they're on pace to, with their current roster, at least be in the in the playoffs and probably around that sixth seed area, five seed area, especially with Miami being so far behind the eight ball now with all the injuries and health and safety protocols. So I'm interested to see if Toronto can really put it together down the stretch here and get the fans back on board because we're not going to have an all-star, but that doesn't mean we don't have guys who are all-star caliber, right? Siakam at his best is an all-star. Van Vliet at his best is potentially an all-star caliber player. And Lowry has been an all-star six years and is obviously in the twilight years of his career, but 
he's still an all-star caliber player in terms of leadership and the other stuff that he brings. It might not necessarily be his statistical output. Another big thing about this game too that I want to mention is the Raptors rebounding because they really made not just their rebounding, but also their ability to um, generate offense from their defense. And they ended up shooting 97 field goal attempts to Brooklyn's 80. And that was because they're getting out in transition. They're forcing them to have a lot of turnovers, which is hard to do when you've got Kyrie, Harden, and Durant on the court, one of them all the time, right? An elite ball handler, a guy that doesn't necessarily get a lot of turnovers, but Toronto was able to generate lots of turnovers by putting pressure on those guys and making them, making their lives hell, basically. Because you look at the stats and you see Kyrie Irving had only 15 on 6 of 12 shooting, which his shooting was efficient, but he didn't hit a 3, he was 0-4, and Toronto really made made this their goal in this game was to make Kyrie Harden and Durant as uncomfortable as possible. And they actually did that. Durant, 8 points, 3 of 8, 19 minutes. And James Harden, too. He played 40 minutes in this game. Only shot 8 attempts from the field and had 17 points. He did have 12 assists, which is a sign that Toronto was throwing everything at him, which we saw in that game. Toronto always does this. They throw everything they can at the superstars and make the other guys beat them. And tonight... The other guys, did they did show up and they played well, but Toronto luckily had just had enough offensively to get by them. Defensively, there was not a lot of defense in this game. Like I said, it's a hard team to stop. They hit in bunches. You know, Toronto's up 20 and then suddenly they'll hit like three or four threes in a row from guys like Joe Harris, from these role players like Jeff Green and even Kyrie or Harden or Durant. One of those guys will be in the mix too. And it just makes that team so damn hard to guard. But this was an impressive win from Toronto. Following that, though, on Saturday, the second night of a back-to-back, you know, you might be a little bit tired, right, as a as a Raptors player because Kyle Lowry, Siakam, both struggled in this game. They had underwhelming performances, to say the least. But then when you look at the numbers, you understand why. And it's Siakam playing 39 minutes against the Brooklyn Nets, a team that likes to get up and down. The Raptors obviously played a lot of minutes, took a lot of shots in this game. And Kyle Lowry, too, with 38 minutes. So you come into that. Second night of a back-to-back, you just beat a team that you weren't supposed to beat. Luckily, Kevin Durant was out because otherwise, you know, they maybe they don't win. But at the end of the day, they won that game. They come into this one against an Atlanta team that's hungry. They're tied with the exact same record as Toronto, holding that sixth seed. This was basically the sixth seed mini bowl here, and Toronto didn't quite come out to play like they did against... The Brooklyn Nets, Toronto started off very strong. Their defense was really intense. I'm pretty sure they only held the Atlanta Hawks to 28 points in that first quarter, but then they followed that up with 38 in the second and then 35 in the third. And then in the fourth, they capped it off with 30, scoring 132 points against Toronto. This is a team that prides themselves in their defense, and they let Atlanta go crazy. And, you know, you can blame the refs all you want on this one with – you know, everything that we hear Raptor fans saying. But at the end of the day, Toronto shot more free throws than Atlanta did. So, you know, maybe it takes you out of your rhythm a little bit with all these calls and stuff. But at the end of the day, Toronto got to the line just as much as them. They had the same opportunity. And I think it, that Atlanta wanted more. They're obviously in a better position to win this game coming off rest versus Toronto on a long road trip. They were just in Brooklyn. They come to Atlanta. Atlanta has some fans there. Maybe there's a little bit more energy there, and they can their runs hit a little bit harder because there are fans there. But 
I think the big takeaway is Clint Capella was dominating, specifically Aaron Baines, but you know, in his 29 minutes, he was also a tough cover for a guy like Chris Boucher, who still has room to grow, right? He's I think he's 27 or 28, which, you know, is pretty old when you think about his timeline in the league. He's only been in the league so long, but he's a little bit more of a raw player. And if he can put on some muscle, put on some specifically just mass, like put on any weight, he can go out there and really compete with a guy like Capella on a nightly basis. Even right now in his smaller stature and being a little bit undersized at the five, he's still able to compete with these guys. But Capella is just a problem, and that's one of the reasons why Aaron Baines still gets minutes is because we can't 100% trust Boucher on the defensive end to guard a guy like Clint Capella all night, especially someone as athletic, quick, and strong as he is. He's kind of the a very tough matchup, kind of like DeAndre Jordan was too. He's strong, he's a big guy, not quite what he used to be, but still a physically imposing player, and that can be an issue for Chris Boucher, despite the fact that he played an amazing game. Like, he went head-to-head with Clint Capella, and he played really well. He had seven offensive rebounds out of his ten boards in this game. But, you know, it's hard to get defensive rebounds when they're scoring every time down the court. When I'm talking about Atlanta specifically. So Toronto couldn't really get any offensive, sorry, defensive rebounds, which is why Boucher only had three in this game. But, yeah, Clint Capella had 16 boards, 23 points, shot 10 of 13 in 29 minutes, compared to Boucher playing 33 minutes, having 29 points. So he outscored him but he only had 10 boards to Capella's 16, and they both shot the exact same from the field. And it was an impressive game for both of these guys. I'm really, really impressed with Chris Boucher, and I want him to get more minutes more than anything. But Toronto giving Boucher more minutes will only solve part of the problem. Still one of the huge problems with this team is their inability to guard those big imposing players. Even when Boucher's on, they still struggle with that. Because you know, Baines was guarding him for 15 minutes, but the other 14 minutes, Capella was a little bit less dominant, but still was an imposing player in this game. And the reason why is because Baines defensively just can't run with a guy like that. So Toronto needs to look to some kind of solution, whether it be playing some other big, which they don't have any really. Is it like playing Watanabe at the five? Is it Stanley Johnson at like the four? And then putting a guy like Siakam at the five? I don't know what you really do here. It's has to be an external move. In my opinion, you have to pick up a guy like JaVale McGee or a guy like Ken Birch. Uh, I've already posed these kinds of trades, but I think for Toronto, you can don't have to give up too much draft equity to get back a guy like that. Specifically, JaVale McGee, you can probably give Cleveland a second-round pick, a protected second-round pick at that. You can add JaVale McGee and make him be your guy who plays 15 to 20 minutes starting games, I think he would have a better shot at guarding a guy like Clint Capella, especially in a system where Toronto wants to win. And you put JaVale McGee on a winning team, and he's a significantly better player. We've seen that with Golden State versus when he was with Denver in his earlier career where you know he was just a throw-it-down machine and honestly just became a human meme at a point. But it's definitely an interesting game here from Toronto. Not playing a lot of defense, like I said. Very tired in this game. Siakam only played 33, Lowry 37, and Van Vliet 38. So these guys, despite playing well, specifically Van Vliet played well, and we know Siakam and Lowry struggled. Part of this is you're on a back-to-back. You've played 70 minutes of basketball in the last two days. So I'm giving them a lot of uh, flexibility here in terms of I'm not going to push a lot of blame on them for this game because at the end of the day, the team didn't come out as a whole unit and play a whole lot of defense. And Trey Young was another guy who really dominated Toronto. 
a lot of fans were saying that he's an annoying player to play against, and that may be true, but he's still a very talented player despite that. And, you know, he put up 28 points on the night. He had 13 assists, and Toronto was doubling him constantly, but they just could not keep him away from that free throw line because, you know, that's just the way Trey Young plays. He's the kind of guy that embellishes a little bit, but, you know, those 14 free throws changed the game and got them the win, right? Because that's just the way he plays. He gets in the lane. He's crafty. He's very smart. And despite looking like a lollipop that fell on the ground, he's still a very good player. Extremely, extremely good. Superstar caliber player. And I have a lot of respect for the way that he played against the Toronto Raptors. And same thing with Clint Capella. John Collins played well. And Danilo Gallinari, despite only scoring 14 points, was getting double teams thrown at him because he was literally bullying a guy like Norman Powell on the defensive end. He was just bullying him, getting open mid-range jumpers, whenever they post him up, Toronto decided, no, we can't let this guy beat us. We've got to throw a double team. And that's what they did. And Toronto ended up paying for it defensively. And as we know, the Hawks hit 19 threes, shot 52% from three. And they this 19 three-pointers is the second most that they scored in a game this season. Their season high was 20. So Toronto was accepting them shooting th- the three ball and unfortunately paid for it. As you lose minus six on the three ball and Toronto's a team that's has been less dependent on it, but still took more threes than Atlanta. And the craziest part about this is Toronto did really good at grabbing offensive rebounds, getting second chance opportunities. Like Atlanta only took 74 field goal attempts and they scored 132 points. Toronto had 97 field goal attempts and scored 121. And a lot of that was in the half court they had to play because Atlanta, despite having some turnovers, are really good at getting back in transition and avoiding points off turnover. So Toronto was forced to play in the half court in this game and really struggled. On the second night of a back-to-back, you're tired, and then you're playing this up-and-down game with a lot of half-court game. And Toronto, as we know, against Boston, that's what they did, limit transition. That's how you beat Toronto, and Atlanta was able to do that. But still, I've been impressed with Toronto's play. They're on a three-game winning streak coming into tonight. So they've really been performing very well. And... Let's take a look at their schedule first before I sign off here and look to see where they can end up because now they're sitting at the nine seed currently with New York winning today. So let's take a look at Toronto's upcoming schedule because, um, you know, it's 50-50 here. You've got the Grizzlies, your next game. Toronto should win that game. The Grizzlies are not a team that you can just, uh, you know, like just wave by you've got to pay attention to their defense because they have one of the best defense defensive schemes in the nba in terms of defensive efficiency they're one of the best in the league and they've got john morant an up-and-coming superstar young player who can score a lot he's a point guard he's fast he's real quick so toronto's got to look to defend him and make the other guys beat them i still think jaron jackson jr is out for them they're nine and nine on the season miss a lot of games due to health and safety stuff so toronto in theory, should be able to come into this game as the favorite. And then you've got the Wizards, who are 5-15, and 15, and if you can let Beal score 50, they're still going to lose because they just don't have enough defensive capability. So if Toronto can play a little bit of defense in this game, they should be able to take care of the Washington Wizards. Then you've got the Celtics, which is a tough game, of course. Then you've got the Timberwolves, which is another team. That's the bottom of the NBA, 6-17. and 17. Carl Anthony Towns is still out, I believe, I actually don't even know if he's back in yet. He may or may not be in for this game, which is a week from today, recording Sunday, February 7th, Super Bowl day. 
Uh, Super Bowl predictions. I don't watch a ton of football, but I'm going to go with Tom Brady. You can't deny his greatness, and it's hard to bet against him, even being on a different team in the Buccaneers. And as a Raptors fan, we're in Tampa Bay too, so we got to support the home, the low-key hometown right now. And then they've got the Bucks back-to-back, and then they have the Timberwolves again, then the 76ers back-to-back. So their schedule is not easy by any means. You've got couple of the best teams in the East. You have to play four times in the next, like, ten games or so. Um, so, you know, it's going to be tough for Toronto. They could end up going, like, three and seven in this schedule in theory. But I think they should be able to go somewhere in the five to five, six to four range uh, to try and keep it close. You know, you, you don't really want to fall into that seven seed because of the play-in tournament. And then you're going to have to match up against a team like Philly or a team like Milwaukee. Uh, no matter where which way you slice it, you look at the top of the East um, – the question is, where do you want to end up when the playoffs start? Because in theory, you know that there's going to be four teams atop the East, assuming these are the top four seeds, which are going to be obviously the way that Philly's been playing. They're going to be like in the mix. Then you've got Milwaukee, of course. You've got Brooklyn. You've got Boston. Those are the four best teams that are on another level, in my opinion, than the rest. The teams with a true superstar on their roster, right? Philly's got Embiid, Milwaukee's got Giannis, Brooklyn's got three superstars, Boston's got Tatum and Brown, who are, I think Brown's in the on the cusp of superstardom. I think Tatum's already there, in my opinion. Led them to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. That's enough for me to say he's on superstar level, or at least getting there, like super close. And then as for Indiana, you're maybe a little bit away. Sabonis isn't quite a superstar. He's a star, but not a superstar. Trey Young is a star in the making. Charlotte, New York, you know they're fine. But Toronto right now is in the nine seed. You do not want to have to face Brooklyn, Milwaukee, or Philly in the first round. Even Boston, too. So how do you avoid them? You can't. <laughs> so for Toronto, you know, you're staring down the barrel right now. But first round exit, even if you do make the playoffs. So the question is, when do you make a choice, right? With Obviously, with the um, trade deadline coming up, I don't know exactly what the date is, but it's, it's going to be coming up in the next couple months probably. Toronto has to make a decision on what they think this team can be. You know, 26 games in, you're more than a third through the season right now. You're sitting at the 9 seed, 10 and 13. You started off 2 and 8, so you went 8 and 5 over your last games, which is pretty good, very solid. So... You've got to decide what are we. Are we a contender? Are we a pretender? Or do we want to tank? There's kind of three places. You can be a middle as a pretender, you know, that four through ten area. Sorry, five through ten, I should say. Because in my opinion, the four teams that I mentioned are the only teams that could possibly come out of the East. I would be shocked if any other team came out of the East besides Milwaukee or Brooklyn um, or Boston or Philly. Like, I would be absolutely shocked. I actually don't think Philly will be a team that makes it to the finals, in my opinion. I would bet all my money right now, if I had to, on Brooklyn to make the finals and the Lakers. Even with you know Utah and Philly atop the standings, I just don't think they're on that same level. And for Toronto, you've got this choice to make, like I said. And the choice actually reflects things that you have to do, moves that you have to make at the trade deadline, do you say, Lowry, what do you want? Do you want to play for a team that we think isn't going to win the title? Because in my opinion, they're not quite that level. Even with their current roster, playing at their best, they're not a title contender. So the question is, hey, Lowry, what's up, man? Do you want to stay with Toronto? Do you want us to trade you so you can go contend? 
or compete for a title this year. You know, you're 34, you're near the end of your career. You've done everything that we've asked you to as a Toronto Raptor fan. You've done everything, right? You've won a title with us. You've been a multiple-time All-Star. You are going to finish the greatest Raptor of all time. You have over 10,000 points. I'm sure you want to stay, but if you want to go, just say the word and we'll shop you. We'll find a way to trade you to a contender that you want to go to. You know, do you want to go to Philly? Do you want to go to Milwaukee? Just give us a list of teams and we'll try and make that work for you. Uh, because, you know, he's done everything for us and you just got to ask him before front about it. And then you're building around Siakam, Van Vliet, OG, Boucher. You know, you've got a good young core in Toronto, an underrated core at that. And then if you top that off with a top 10 pick in this year's stacked 2021 draft class and with Masai Ujiri's ability to um, develop players and make the right selection in this place and obviously Bobby Webster too with the Raptors resigning him, got to give him some respect. He's in that front office too, making decisions, giving um, as the GM there. So it's a tough choice. It really is a tough choice for Toronto, but you have to you have to choose which way you want to go. You can't just sit in the middle and be like, you know, we'll be okay. You don't want to be the Orlando Magic of the NBA. That's not where you want to be. The eight seed that gets eliminated in the first round, despite it being interesting, despite you thinking, you know, they have a chance. We saw what happened to Toronto against Boston last year. They're worse than they were last year, without question. I said that coming into the season. A lot of fans didn't think so, but, man, they're just a little bit worse, you know. And Lowry's a little older. Siakam's been struggling. Van Vliet has been better than last season, but not a ton better. He's still shown some inconsistency. But, man, it's a tough choice for Toronto, and I hope they can make a choice at some point because the inflection point is coming soon. In the next 20 games, whenever the the trade deadline is, you know what, I'm going to search up when the 2021 trade deadline is just so that I can give Toronto a rough timeline of, of where I think they should be when the deadline comes, they have to make a decision, and it looks like it's March 25th of 2021. So you've got about a month. And so if you're playing about three or four games a week, you're looking at about six weeks. You're looking at about another 15 to 20 games. So Toronto's got another probably 10 games, 15 games, to make a decision on where they are. If over these next 10 games they struggle, they have a tough r- record. Like I said, they have to play Milwaukee twice, Philly twice. If over that stretch they go, you know, 5-5 five and five or 4-6 and six or even 3-7, and seven, then Toronto's got to really consider um, departing from some of these guys, selling their players that can help championship teams, and then fully diving into this rebuild. Um, because Toronto's honestly like a catastrophic injury away, knock on wood, of course, from just being out this season. They need all their guys healthy. They need OG and Nobi back. If he comes back soon, he's already been ruled out for the game against Memphis, but if he can come back soon before we have to take on a team like Milwaukee or something, that would be amazing for Toronto because then you can test out your full healthy roster against the best in the East. See what you have. See if you have beliefs that you can make it to the to the finals if you make maybe a move or two. But, you know, in my opinion, I think the season's close to becoming a wash. And I hate to be the pessimistic Raptor fan, but there is nothing wrong with being mediocre. That's true. But at the same time, you'd rather pick up a nice draft pick, trade some of your assets, and then build a better team for next season because, you know, Lowry could end up walking this year at the end of the year. And that would suck as a Raptors fan. Thank you guys for listening to me rant. But... I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you.